You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. All right, welcome to this week's edition of the Micro Church series that I'm doing for uh, Salt Churches, our Salt Churches podcast. You can check us out, saltchurches.com. Um, thank you for everyone that has been listening, that's been responding, that's been sharing these videos. Um, really appreciate you. Really appreciate you tuning into this because um, we truly believe that the next wave of churches is going to be a huge wave of micro churches. Honestly, in the next 20 to 30 years, this type of church, mark my words, is going to be the normal way people do church. So the question we're answering today, and then it's the question that I get all the time and from people that are uh, trying to start new uh, salt churches or starting new micro churches, is a micro church really even a church at all? Is it just a small group? Is it a Bible study? I've had so many people over and over and over again call the church that we're running a Bible study. Look, it's not a Bible study. We have a church. What you're seeing on a Sunday and what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis is our gathering. If you call our gathering something, it's not necessarily, you know, um, it doesn't look like a regular church. It has some of the same elements But if you call the gathering on Sunday our church, then you'd be missing the point altogether of what a microchurch actually is. A microchurch is 24-7. A microchurch invades your entire life. It is actually doing life together because you're all focused on the mission of Jesus and what Jesus wants and his lordship. And I think too many people take for granted that um, maybe, just maybe, um, what you're doing every Sunday if you are a Christian might even be less of a church, according to scripture, than what we do as a part of a micro church. Now, hear me out for a second, because a lot of the stuff that we do in our churches on Sunday in the United States of America is stuff we just made up. You'd have to teach Jesus about the way that we do church in North America. What's an usher? What's a greeter? What's a guy that like sets out chairs for people? All those things are maybe good things and they get people involved, but isn't the best way to do church? And this is my premise, right? My premise is too many churches are making people good at church. Let me say that again. Too many churches are making people really good at church. Now, if you look at the content of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' teaching is about daily life. Jesus talks about how we treat people. Jesus talks about how we deal with money. Jesus talks about how we deal with each other, how we deal with forgiveness, how we deal with family life, how we deal with him, how we deal with the God of the universe, how we deal with meaning in our daily lives. And the church is telling us to join a team, to do this, to do that, put some money in the offering container or give online. And then the rest of our lives, we just go about our daily lives, but we keep getting better at church and aren't sure why we're not getting better at daily life because we're not looking at the actual content of Jesus' teaching. 
So many people ask me, is a micro church really a church? Is it just a Bible study? Um, is it just a group of people getting together? People have been doing house churches for years. I mean, for years. Um, and so many house churches are like bitter buns, like party of five or six. And then they end up splitting even more because they were angry when they first got involved in the first place. And they're mad at the church and they haven't worked out their forgiveness issues yet. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of church I'm talking about. We're talking about a church on mission together. So we're going to look at scripture and you can weigh it for yourself. Um, I'm obviously heavily leaning towards micro churches, and I'm biased because we have the best church in the entire world, the best church on the planet. But here's the thing, like it's because of the people. It's because of what we're doing. It's because of what we're aiming for and the people that are gathering around now. So we're going to take a look at this at, at the Bible and we're going to say, okay, what really is a church? What is, constitutes a New Testament church? Because too many people, I think, um, are just taking for granted that what they're doing is church. But maybe, just maybe, a micro church is even more of a church than your traditional or legacy church. All right. So we're going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. What were the believers doing? This is after Pentecost. Peter has preached from a balcony. Peter has preached maybe on the steps, side steps of the temple. I'm not exactly sure of the exact spot, but he's preached in Jerusalem. A bunch of people got saved. 3,000 people get saved, okay, or so. So they get baptized. They're believing. They're following Jesus. What do we do now, right? The church is born. What do we do now, All right? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the church right there is doing four things already, four things right after all these people get saved. Peter preaches this message, right? They think they're drunk. They end up getting saved. <coughs> Excuse me. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. We're devoted to the word. Number one, devoted to the word. The word is the authority in our church. The word is the authority in a micro church, not some weird cultish leader not some guy that tells you how to interpret scripture, not someone that tells you that you need to know Jesus through them. The word, the Bible, is the number one thing. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, okay? And to fellowship. They devote themselves to each other, being with each other, being around each other, hanging around each other. They are in each other's lives constantly. You have to remember, Jerusalem isn't a city of multiplied millions of people. Everyone kind of knows what's going on in the city. It swells at times, especially during festival times, but people like know what's going on in each other's lives. Like when 2000 people get saved in the city, it is around a festival around Pentecost. But when that many people get saved, man, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about it and it's going to change the context of the entire city. But these people start hanging out together, but they're devoting themselves to the apostles teaching the people that spent the time with Jesus and the, the people that we get most of the New Testament from. So we're, we're devoting ourselves to the teaching of Jesus, to the apostles, teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're eating together. They're breaking bread. They're remembering what Jesus has done for them, and they're praying. So four things so far. They devoting, we're devoting ourselves to the word. We're devoting ourselves to each other and hanging out with each other. We're eating together, and we're praying together. So four things that are constantly happening in the new church. And we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going with this one because how many of those things did you do this Sunday? 
And I don't mean just having lunch together afterwards. I I mean, remembering Jesus over a meal. Is that something you've done? If you're going and sitting in a row, dropping your kids off at kids ministry and then bailing out because it's a convenient time for your day, then what we're doing as a micro church looks a lot more like the church of the New Testament than what you're doing. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the action of the Holy Spirit in people's lives in transforming them, performing miracles, seeing lives completely made new, seeing bodies made new, miracles are happening. There's an energy of miracles happening around the church. That's happening in the New Testament church. That's happening. Everyone was filled with awe, like a childlike Oh, like they're, oh my gosh, I can't believe God is doing this. People are standing in Peter's shadow to get saved, or not to get saved, to to actually get healed. His shadow would go by and people would get healed. And I've heard reports of that happening with missionaries in India, people standing under their shadow and getting healed by faith. The New Testament church is a church that signs and wonders follow those who believe and will continue to believe that. We'll keep putting hands on people. We'll keep anointing people with oil and believing that they'll recover from sickness. We will keep doing what the scripture tells us to do and believe for signs and wonders. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had everything in common, everything in common. Now, this is a challenging one for individualistic Americans. I am all for the individual. I believe individual rights come from scripture. I mean, it's the, it's the image of day. It's like people made in the image of God. Like the fact that you're an individual means you are the smallest possible minority, that you have value, that, that God has placed his image upon you and that you're important, that, that, that God really believes that individuals and individual choices and individual lives are really important. That's what we're not saying here is that Everybody was no longer an individual. What we're saying is people by their own choice from their hearts because of what the Holy Spirit, man, what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. They're beginning to share with each other and they have things in common. They're sharing their lives with each other, not just sharing money, which is important because that's the thing that's really attached to our heartstrings. So there's a story really quickly. I'll tell you a story really quickly of what happened in one of our discipleship microgroups. We call them fire teams because... I'll get into that another time. That's actually the last podcast, the last video I did. You can look it up. But a guy needed to get out and essentially get time alone in the wilderness. We're encouraging him to, more than encouraging him, almost forcing him to get out in the woods and spend some time with Jesus and practice solitude and be with Jesus, be in the word and listen to God for himself. He was worried about money. He was worried about a new business he was starting. He was worried about what he might confront when he goes out into the woods. And he was literally kind of like shaking, like, I don't want to do this. But in this group, everyone's calling him out, right? You need to get out. You need to get out, 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 out. You need to get out in the wilderness and be with Jesus. What ended up happening was he sat there and ended up leaving the meeting with zero excuses. He's like, I need 900 bucks by the end of the week for rent. I don't have that yet because I'm starting this, this new business. I'm investing in it, everything in it. Two guys look at each other. They're sitting next to each other and they're like, we can cover that man. And then he's like, oh, I don't have the gear right now because we want him to leave the next day because we've been hanging on this guy for like three weeks to leave. I happen to have a bunch of camping stuff sitting in the back of my truck, ready to go into his car. My other buddy had all the complimenting gear in an amazing Yeti bag with like 
sleeping bag, a blanket, like all the things that he would need to go out and actually camp. So he had all the stuff he needed to camp and he had 900 bucks Venmo to him before we left that group. These guys have everything in common. They're spending time together. They're helping each other. I helped landscape a guy's backyard that's getting married soon. Like we have life in common, real life in common with each other. Is that something you can say about your regular Sunday attendance? Is there a group of people that attend your church that are members of your church where you could say, I have this medical bill. I have this problem. I, I, have, I need a car. I need this. I need groceries. I need, um, I need compassion. I need someone to hang out at my house for three days because I can't stop looking at pornography. Or I need someone to help me intervene in my marriage. Or I need just people in my life that can hear me out because I have nobody to actually talk to? Or is it really a lonely experience where you go, listen to a message, put your hands up in the air, clap, whatever it looks like, however good it looks, does it look like having everything in common? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So we're taking care of the needy in our churches. Are you taking care of the needy within the church first? Are there needy people that you know, are going to this unbelievably extravagantly wealthy church every Sunday and they can't make ends meet. And now people make their own choices when it comes to there's opportunity everywhere. But is someone helping them figure out how to find that opportunity and grow up financially? Because it's all one thing to like give them some money, but it's another thing to disciple someone financially. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, so worshiping together and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that are being saved. So a couple more things here. They're breaking bread. They're hanging out together every day. So what, what I take from that, what I take from that, people hanging out every day is like they actually like to be around each other. Like they enjoy it. They don't have to schedule out three weeks in advance to like get a hangout. I understand people's lives get full and lives get busy, but man, we suffer from busy sickness in the United States of America. Most of us are not as important as our schedules tell us we are, honestly. So here's the thing. Lastly, they're praising God and joining the favor of all the people. And every day people are added to their number. That means they're activated and sharing the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel? Is the church you're a part of sharing the gospel? Actually sharing it, not saying, buddy, I love you, or like giving someone uh, some kind of prophetic encouragement randomly. I mean, are you calling them into repentance to follow Jesus? Are you sharing Jesus with people? There's a lot of things happening here. A lot of things happening here. And I'll read this scripture one more time and think about your church. People say, is a micro church really a church? Let's go through this scripture and see. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We're hanging out with people all week long. Sunday is just a result of the discipleship that we do. And the apostles' teaching, we're reading through the Bible aloud together and pulling out from the scripture what we need to obey. We're devoting ourselves to the word. And in our discipleship, we're reading the word together and deciding how to obey it. We're devoted to it. We're breaking bread into prayer. Every week we eat together and remember Jesus. We pray together in our groups. We pray for other people. We're praying every Sunday for each other. And we're praying for each other during the week. It doesn't get contained to our gatherings. Everyone is filled with awe and the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Now, 
This is one that we're believing in faith for, and we're consistently praying for people for miracles. We're going to see these happen in extraordinarily huge numbers. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We have something at our house called the open fridge rule. And my parents are adjusting. (laughs) And it took me a while to adjust as well. But if you come to my house and you're a part of Salt Churches and you're committed to what we're doing and we're family together, then call family what it is. Family should be able to open your fridge and eat whatever they want. And I think that's why our fridge is always full. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Just a few weeks ago, we helped a couple of girls in our church that were struggling financially. Almost a thousand dollars came in to help these women uh, through a difficult patch in our church. Are we helping orphans and widows? Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. We're around each other all the time. I'm not surprised when I come home and someone's asleep on my couch, eating a meal at my table, or just around. People are around all the time. They broke bread in their homes and to, with, together with glad and sincere hearts. There is an atmosphere of joy in this church that I have not experienced in a really long time. Happy people, people full of joy, no matter the circumstances are a good sign you're in company with believers. Praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. There's worship. We're worshiping together. We're worshiping with our lives, not just a song, not just throwing a song up to God and hoping he hears it. We are worshiping together with our entire lives. The last one. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. We're sharing the gospel, man. We set a goal for 500 gospel shares this month. Now, I'll let you know if we meet it, but I have to tell you, it has been an invigorating experience for me. Too many of you are spiritually constipated. You're getting, 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 getting. You're spiritually obese. You're fat. You need to get on a treadmill. You need to lift some weights. You need to get out there and share the gospel with people because you're spiritually constipated. The gospel is shared with you, not so it could stay with you. You are a gospel pipeline. You're a gospel giver. I encourage you today, share the gospel with someone. Send a text to someone to meet up with them and share Jesus with them. Meet with someone or ask someone what they're reading in a coffee shop and start up a conversation so you can share the gospel with someone. If you think it's imposing on someone to save them from hell, even if they're living in hell right now to save them from that so they can have joy and salvation, then you've got the idea of the gospel completely backwards. It's not imposing religion on someone. I think so many times people don't want to share the gospel because they think they're sharing a church. They think they're sharing some gathering of people on a Sunday. That's not what you're sharing. You're sharing Jesus with people. Someone will end up in church if they're following Jesus because Jesus goes. He gathers with his people. So I want to encourage you to get out there and share the gospel. So the next next scripture we're going to take a good look at here is Ephesians chapter 4. It's kind of like the constitution of the church. If you're going to look at any makeup of the church, Ephesians chapter four, Jesus, not Jesus, sorry. Paul the apostle really lays out in chapter four what the church really looks like. All right. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Holy people set apart for God. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. To keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to have one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ and Christ alone. When you're baptized in water, 
You're baptized into one church. You're baptized by one spirit, just as you are called to one hope. And there is one hope in the gospel. That means there's one church. <laughs> but does each one grace has been given as Christ apportioned it? This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now listen to this. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, so Jesus is filling the whole universe according to Paul the Apostle. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Is Jesus the head of your church? Is Jesus leading this church? How does that happen? So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right. So let me give you my view on the fivefold giftings as so many people are calling them now. They're not super apostles. They're not super special. They aren't super prophets and super positions of super authority. I believe in kingdom authority. I believe in following your leaders. I believe in submitting to authority. I do. That's why I think what we're doing is working as opposed to a regular house church that's out on its own and not under any apostolic authority whatsoever. Spiritual authority is very important. You have to remember that we're a part of a kingdom. We are part of a kingdom, not a democracy. It, it, it is a theocracy. God is in charge of his church. Jesus is the head of his church. And when we turn single pastors or single teachers, and it is very much a pastor and teacher led type church in the United States today, and we put them in charge. That's why I believe we have so many people breaking down, making moral mistakes, not really figuring out what to do because they are little K kings. When Jesus is the head of his church, things start to work a hell of a lot better. <laughs> so what are these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers around for? Well, why does anyone give you a gift? Is it to rule over you? Is it a gift to tell you what to do? No, a gift is there to serve you. As what I believe as an apostle of Jesus, someone that is called to plant churches, to enculturate areas, to see lost people saved, to build order and systems that are kingdom oriented, that allow people to flourish in daily life and follow Jesus better and to multiply disciples and multiply churches. My role as an apostle, an apostle running Salt Churches and as a founder of Salt Churches, my role is to serve everyone in our church as best as possible so that they are equipped for their daily life and can live out their daily life. All right, back on top of that. So coming back at you. So here's the thing. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, what are you around for? You are around so that the people of the church will no longer be infants. What does an infant do? It needs, it consumes, it wakes you up in the middle of the night. An infant needs milk, an instant infant needs constant attention, an infant needs to consume. An infant is somebody that goes to church in order to get something. If you're, if you're consistently going to church for the good worship, for the good message, to get something from somebody, you're an infant in the faith. There's nothing wrong with being an infant unless you've been an infant for 20 years. It's time to grow up and give. 
The idea is to give. The idea is to serve the body of believers. You've been given a specific set of spiritual gifts in order to serve, in order to give. This is what I tell my guys all the time in discipleship. A microchurch, I think, works effectively and best at making disciples because of the family environment. We are raising children and raising men and women to manhood and womanhood. What does a man do for himself? He opens a scripture and gets meat himself. My guys aren't dependent on me for the word. They go to the word themselves. And that's a taught skill. That's something we need to teach people how to do like you would teach a child to walk. Many of our churches aren't doing that. We're teaching people to be dependent on us as spiritual leaders so that they keep giving, they keep turning up, and we can keep drawing a crowd. That is not what Jesus intended for his church. He intended for active, alive family of believers on mission together. So so they won't be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Look around at the church in America today. How many false teachings are out there? Man, if you can just teach everybody in your church to read the word, and as we read the word aloud together in our gatherings, it's the best way to avoid complete heresy. Because if you're having 100 people, 50 people, 30 people all looking at scripture together, then it's highly unlikely that someone's going to be to pull the wool over their eyes because they're following Jesus for themselves. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So we're speaking the truth to people. We're rebuking people, loving people, encouraging people through different seasons of their life in order to teach them to become mature and come into fellowship with the head that is Jesus Christ and become more and more like him. That's the point. So, so many people are asking, is a micro church a church? So if you've listened to this whole podcast or watched this whole video or you're at work and you need to set this aside and um, listen to it another time, I encourage you, listen to this and think about what a regular legacy church looks like. Turn up on Sunday do the worship thing, maybe do communion, do some of the sacraments, whatever tradition you're from, listen, listen to a message, shake some hands, kiss some babies, say goodbye, join a team, shake some hands, whatever it looks like. Does your church look more like a church than a micro church? And I'm going to leave that up to you, but look at scripture. What does scripture actually say? There will be elements in there, but how many man-made things are actually slowing down the movement of the the church of Jesus Christ because we want to be needed as leaders or we want to be fed as followers. And the celebrity culture that's killing us in some of these churches, that the, the ideal is to be famous. The ideal is to be something great. The ideal is to have a bunch of people following you on Instagram. There's nothing wrong with influence per se. But if we continue to hold up a preaching circuit as the ideal in Christianity, then all the people, 99.99% of people that will never have a gift or talent or skill set in order to do that will not be activated believers. They will think that that's the direction you need to go to be a real Christian. And that's where we fail when it comes to legacy churches, when it comes to leading them poorly. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as the fivefold gifting invests and serves the church, washes the feet of the body of Christ and listens to the head and serves the body, more and more Christians will become activated. More and more Christians will follow Jesus properly. More and more Christians will obey Jesus. I had someone tell me the other day, this is a really simple way of looking at it. And this is what we did accidentally in our micro church. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, a lot of people leave out obey, teach them to obey. That's the great commission. Okay. It's a great commission telling us to make disciples. Too many people leave out, teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. So devoting yourselves to the apostles teaching, like we talked about in Acts chapter Two verse 42, right? Devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching. So what does that actually mean when it means obey Jesus? It means simply do what he says. It doesn't mean cut corners. It doesn't mean figure out how to get around it. It means if we're doing discipleship properly, we're opening up the word of God. We're opening it up and we're looking at it and go, how do we best do what Jesus is asking us to do on a daily basis? How do we actually follow him? Obedience means following. And in an environment where there's 20 or 30 people, you're going to know whether or not someone's obeying or not. In a legacy church where people come and sit in rows, how many of those people do you think are looking at the word every single day or in a group, smaller group of people looking at the word every day and figuring out how to obey? I'm not talking about small groups. I'm not talking about Bible studies. I'm not talking about talking about the scripture like so many of us love to philosophize about scripture, but The way we look at philosophy is all wrong. We need to look at this, this scripture as how do I obey Jesus properly? And the best way to teach people how to obey and how to live life is in a family environment. What Jesus intended from the very beginning was something like micro churches where people walking in life out together that know each other's names, that know what's going on in each other's lives, that are willing to support each other, feed each other, love each other, be around each other because they're on mission to see the lost saved, people discipled, and more churches being planted and learning how to obey what Jesus tells us to do. That number one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is what I'll leave you with. You cannot practically in real life Love somebody that's 10,000 miles away that you do not know. The Facebook culture has taught us that if you really believe in something or you're an advocate for something that you love people, this would not necessarily be an accurate interpretation of scripture. Why? Because Jesus told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. What's the difference between a neighbor and a refugee that we'll never see that is 10,000 miles away. Well, if a refugee is our neighbor, then that's a person that lives close to us or um, somebody that we're actually involving ourselves with in their world. That means money, time, effort, energy, life, speaking to somebody, building a relationship with somebody. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? It means practically in real life, loving the people that are actually in your life. Hear that again. Practically, in real life, loving people that are actually in your life. doesn't mean projecting your morals on Facebook. It doesn't mean saying you believe in some cause. You do what you actually believe. When Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, he uses the good story of the Good Samaritan on purpose because that's something you would see. That's real life. That's how you actually help people. 
And he flips the question on its head. Who was the good neighbor? So this greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are people that are actually in your life. And can you say that about your church? I can say it about mine. I love the people in my church. You know why? Because I've given time, money, energy, tears, prayers, everything you possibly imagine. The same amount of thing, care that I would give to a child or the same amount of care I'd give to a brother and sister, I've given to the people that are following this mission of Jesus together in our church. We're trying our best to follow this greatest command, and it happens best in a microchurch setting because sitting in a row and listening and consuming is not going to give you what Jesus asks you to do. It will give you a form of religion. You must make a personal choice as to whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. And in a microchurch setting, the actual structure itself is set up so you can win in that regard and begin to follow Jesus in your daily life. So, is a microchurch really a church? I guess you'll have to come and see. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.